Good morning. The first microphone didn't work this morning, so I've got Chris's personal microphone. So Chris, I hope it comes along with your anointing this morning. I don't know how much you have realized as you've heard Chris teach and you've seen our mission statement and heard about our vision, how much story is embedded in every aspect of it. In our mission statement, it talks about participating in God's story. In our vision statement, it talks about sharing our stories. Our byline behind us here is living the story. And undergirding every aspect of our vision is knowing God's story, living God's story, sharing God's story. It's about story. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I don't know how many of you watch the uh, award shows for the movies, uh, but when someone wins an award, they get up and make a boring speech usually. But as I was watching one not that long ago, the actress who won Best Supporting Actress, she started to tell a story about her daughter. So I got a young daughter, about seven years of age. And my daughter loves stories. And she said, I read her story after story. And sometimes after I've read her story, she'll say to me, Mommy, will you read me that story again? And this time, would you put me in the story? And I love that. And she said, I do. I read the story and I write her into the story. And we'll see up here on the screen the heart of the principle that I want to share with you about the power of story this morning. When a story moves you, you want to participate in it. When you're moved by a story, you want to enter into it, partake of it. And many of us here this morning will remember how we heard about the love of God how he loved us so much even when we hated him and didn't want anything to do with him. And when we heard about his great love, it moved our hearts. And we wanted to be participating in that story. And we welcomed him into our lives and he changed us and he transformed us. And today we're living in his story. We're participating in his story. When a story moves you, you want to participate in it. Let's go to Scripture here in Acts chapter 26. We'll read it, and then I'll give a little bit of the backstory. Agrippa spoke directly to Paul. Go ahead and tell us about yourself. And Paul took the stand and told his story. Agrippa did answer, keep this up much longer, and you will make a Christian out of me. It's the same principle working here. When a story moves you, you want to become part of the story. Now, Agrippa didn't become a Christian, but he was moved towards that story that he heard. Now, Paul had been chased by the Jews. They wanted to kill him. Um, they put him in prison. Uh, you know, he'd been there for two years, and now he was appearing on trial before Agrippa. Agrippa actually is the last Herod that we read about in the Bible. We just read about a Herod in the Christian story. This is the last Herod that we read about in Scripture. 
And he was an expert on Jewish law and Jewish custom. And as Paul stands before him, Paul begins to tell his story. Agrippa, there was a time when I hated these Christians. I went into their synagogues and I dragged them out and I made them blaspheme. I wanted to see them hurting. I wanted to see them dead. In fact, when people were stoning them, I stood by and held the garments of those who were killing them. This was who I was, Agrippa. But one day I was on the road to Damascus and I had a living encounter with a living Jesus and he changed my life. He gave me a new name. He gave me a new life. He gave me a new purpose, Agrippa. And since then, I've been serving him and reaching out not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And it says, as Paul is telling this story, Agrippa says, keep this up much longer and you'll make me a Christian. I was weaned on the King James and I love it what the King James says on that verse. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Let's have a look for a second at our IPC vision statement. Part of it. We see a growing church where people share what God is doing in their lives through stories of personal transformation that draw many people to faith in Christ. This is a vision statement. It's about what we envision as we walk with God. And what do we envision? A growing church, this church packed for two services so that we have to look for somewhere else to, in the community to, to grow even more as we share God's word. Many people coming to Christ. That's why the church is going to grow. Not that other churches are going to come here and people are saying, I love your worship or whatever, and we're going to join IPC. That's great. We're envisaging people who today do not know Jesus, that are walking far away from him. We envision that this time next year, for example, that these seats will be filled with a number of those who have come to Christ. Why have they come to Christ? Because we have been sharing the stories of what God has been doing in our lives. When I was growing up, my church, uh, we had some terrifying evangelism, you know, uh, events. We were sent out as young teens to knock people's doors. You know, horrifying experience. You know, you'd begin to say something and they'd swear at you and they'd sh shout at you and they'd slam the door and you'd go to the next one and you'd be scared to knock the door for fear of what was going to happen. Who wants to do that sort of evangelism? And then they sent us out onto the streets with tracts, leaflets, and we were to hand them to people walking by. We got the same thing. People spat at us. People ignored us. People took it and screwed it up. You know, and when you're weaned with that type of approach to evangelism, it can be pretty scary. And you can grow up and you can think, that's not for me. Evangelism is not for me. And of course, you know, there are many different methodologies that we can that use today that are not quite so scary. But you know what I want to say to you this morning? One of the most powerful, one of the most effective ways to introduce people to Jesus is to share our personal 
stories with them. And that's what we envisage here, many people coming to Jesus. I want to suggest three arenas this morning where we can actually tell our stories. And the first one is in the home. You know, we can have a Christian home, but I don't know actually how we might define what, what makes a, a home a Christian home. That everybody's a Christian? I, I, how do we define a Christian home? Can we move to the next slide, please? Thank you. How many of us in our homes, parents, have told our children how we came to Jesus? Do our children know how we came to Jesus? Do our children know some of the challenges that we've walked through in our lives and how Jesus came through and, and, and how we found victory? Or do they know about the challenges that we've had in our life and the questions that we've had about our faith? Let's read this, written by a pastor. When we consistently share stories as a family, we impart truth, life, and identity into our children. When this becomes a tradition in our homes, our children will practice this with others, in turn becoming powerful agents for the kingdom. Let me ask you this morning, are you a storytelling family? Do you tell and talk about the stories of God? Do you talk about what God has done, is doing, and what you believe him to do in the future in your lives? Are your children growing up in that type of environment? One of the things I've enjoyed so much as we've traveled the world in ministry, that when we meet people and, and they say to us, uh, what do you do? Uh, when our boys were younger, and my son Paul's here with his wife Lisa and my granddaughter Abby this morning, uh, but my son, uh, both my sons would say, Dad, Tell them a story about when we got locked in the gold vault in Colombia. Dad, tell them about the riot when we were, and so they go on. See, they could never doubt the goodness of God because they've seen and they've participated in these stories and they love to tell them. And now our grandchildren are saying the same stories, telling the same stories, and they're adding their own stories to it because God, as God works uh, in their life. One of the things I want to say to us this morning, and I want to encourage you, let's be truthful. Let's be truthful. When we don't tell the whole story, we're not telling the truth. And if we lead our children to think that everything is victory in the Christian life, we are leading them into something that will be confusing for them when challenging times come in their life in the future. We need to be honest about our faith. We go through victories, but we have defeats. We have challenges. We have difficulties. And we need to find Jesus in the midst of all of those things. And we need to share those with our children. We need to be sharing stories in the home. Secondly, in the church. When I was growing up, we used to have testimonies all the time. Every time we went to church, someone was telling a story about what Christ had done in their life. And it was encouraging for us because sometimes we were going through those same struggles. And we heard how they had come to a place of victory. And it was encouraging for us. It seems like today in many, many churches, we don't hear testimonies anymore. 
We have a great team here who are putting together testimonies on video. I believe that in the coming year, we need to see more and more people in this church giving testimony to the good things that God has done. Let's have a look at the verse. Let's see what the psalmist says here about giving testimony in the church. I will stand up before the congregation and testify to the wonderful things you have done. What do we testify about? About ourselves and how great we are? No, about the wonderful things that he has done in our lives. And I'm going to give you a testimony about some things in my life. Actually, it was great this morning. I was asked the question, how did you come to Canada? Well, I'm going to tell you. And there's some God moments in this story that I want to share with you. I was born 71 years ago in London, England, center of the universe. When I was eight years of age, my mother, who had been sick most of my childhood, died. A devastating thing for a young child of nine years of age. But what made it worse is three months later, my father decided he was going to go to Canada and live in Canada, and he did. And so within three months, I lost my mother and I lost my father at the age of nine. And you can imagine how traumatic that was, and you can also imagine, I'm sure, as I grew up, how many questions I had, particularly when I had my own children. How could my father particularly leave his children? I had a sister and go live in Canada. And it was a, pers a, a persistent question. 24 years later, I had a phone call from Canada that said, your father is dying. And I wasn't really sure, to be honest with you, what my response was going to be. In the 24 years between my father leaving and the phone call that he was dying, I came to Jesus and had an amazing encounter with him. And I found my heavenly father to be one who promises to never leave me or forsake me. And as I grew in the Lord, we uh, continued and uh, met Maureen. And we had a common vision in our heart. We felt the Lord had placed there for missions. And we got married and we had two boys and we settled down. And we wondered whether we'd miss God. And then 10 years after we were married... God began to stir our hearts again about this missions thing. And to cut a very long story short, I ended up giving up my career as a headmaster. When I left the school, we lost our home, which was attached, and went into this mission organization that gave no salary. I was not excited about that. We had to believe God for everything. And we were six months now into this mission organization in England, and the leaders one day called us together and they said to Maureen and I, we've got some bad news for you. We're closing down here in England in this location. We just gave up our lives to come and work here. And they said, maybe you should go back to your church and work with your church. Well, we knew that that wasn't what God had called us to do at that point. And I have to tell you, we had some big questions we were pretty confused. And also, we were at times. How could this happen? And it was during that confusion that the telephone rang. Your father is dying. 
And I remember my aunt saying to me, we're going to speak to the specialist. It doesn't look good. Would you wait by the phone? And I waited by the phone. And as I did, I began to reflect. You see, the Lord had been touching my heart too about my father. I wanted to express to him that I loved him, that I had forgiven him. I wanted more than anything to tell him about Jesus because he didn't know Jesus. And I had felt I should write to him. And I hadn't done it. And as I'm sitting there, I'm reading in the first epistle, in the second epistle of John. And I look down as I'm waiting and what I'm reading that morning, it says, I'm not content to write to you. I'm coming to see you face to face. Written in a completely different context, but the Lord took those words and brought them to my heart. And I knew that I knew that I knew that I had to go and see my father. There was only one problem. I had no money. We'd given up everything. It was manna in those days. We were trusting God for our meals every day. I didn't have money to go. But when the phone call came back from my aunt, I said, we're coming. I'm coming. Now I thought, what the heck am I going to do? So I called the airport. I was learning to listen to the Lord and to be obedient. It was a learning time for me. And the Lord had spoken, so I called the airport. You could do that in those days. Um, Would you save me a ticket? I'm coming. I'll pay for it when I get there. They said yes. Next morning, I got in a car with one of the leaders of the mission. And as we were driving to the airport, I'm thinking, Lord, I can't pay for the car. Uh, You know, I I can't pay for uh, any transportation in Canada. How do I get there? What am I going to do? this leader reached over to me. He said, Colin, last night, your friends in Youth with a Mission prayed for you. And they took up an offering. And I want to give it to you. And he handed me an envelope that had enough money for me to get my ticket, enough money to get to Aurelia, where my father was dying, enough money for a motel, all of the things I needed. God had provided miraculously. And it was an encouragement to me, again, to trust him when he spoke to me. Well, I got on the plane. We missed the flight that was connecting in Boston. I ended up staying overnight, sleeping on some chairs to get the flight the next morning. And about five in the morning, I decided that was enough. I was going down to the gate. And you can do that then. This is a long time ago. You could do that. And I went down to the gate. And there was an Indian, East Indian lady um, lying out asleep uh, on the chairs. And I sat there. There was a newspaper. So I read it. And she woke up, and we talked, and she said, I'm a missionary. And I said, really? So am I. And we began to talk. And I said, so we're going to Toronto. She said, yes, I am, but I'm not sure that I'm going to be on the flight with you. I said, why is that? She said, I wasn't supposed to be going until tomorrow, but I was in a taxi last night going to stay with some friends, and the Lord said to me, I want you to turn this taxi around. I want you to go to the airport tonight because I'm going to provide for your trip to Toronto for ministry. And you know what I start to hear? (laughs) The Lord was speaking to me saying, I want you to pay her airfare. And I'm saying, Lord, this can't be. You gave this to me miraculously. Uh, Lord, I'm supposed to go see my father. I'm supposed to go. I felt I was supposed to go to Quebec because there was a youth with a mission center in Quebec that was working in creativity, which was what I was working in. And I was arguing with the Lord. Finally, they're calling the flight And I say to her, excuse me. And I go around the corners where she can't see me, and I just say, Lord, just tell me. 
I don't have any time. Give me your word. Do I give her the money or not? And it was just like the Lord was sitting beside me and saying, Colin, if you've been reading my word this morning and read it instead of the newspaper, maybe I could have spoken to you a little bit more clearly. And it was just like that. And I knew what to do. I, I picked up my Bible, which I had with me, and I continued into the third epistles of John. And you know what the title was in the Bible of the portion I was to read that morning? Generous Treatment of Traveling Ministers. And it says there, if you meet a stranger in the Lord's work who has need, that you are to provide for them so that you can be fellow workers with them in the truth. And I said, Lord, I know what to do. And I put my Bible down and I went to her and I gave her the money for the ticket and I hugged her and I got on the plane and I sat there and I said, what on earth did you just do? The Lord gave you that money for a purpose, miraculously. You've just given it away. And as I read, I was reading a Ryrie Bible. Some of you maybe remember the Ryrie Bible, but at the, at the bottom of the page in that passage, it said, if you meet a fellow missionary who has need to get to the next place of ministry, you're to give them, provide for them so they can get there. Well, you know what? If it was written more clearly in the sky, it couldn't have been more clear. I knew that that's what God said. Excuse me, I got a little bit of a, a little bit of a cold. And so, I get to Canada. I have a, a wonderful time with my father. I was able to share the Lord with him. He died several days later. And during that time, my aunt, who had called me in the first place, said, "Do you have a day to come up and see us?" And I had, because I couldn't go to Quebec. I had no money to go to Quebec. I had some extra time, so I said, I'll come. And I walked in, and these were missionaries too, living up in the north of Canada, trusting God for their provision on a daily basis as well. And I got in the house, maybe 15 minutes. And my aunt said to me, I've got something for you. She said, I went to spend this several times. Every time I went to spend it, the Lord told me that it was for a special purpose. And she said, when you walked in the door, the Lord said, this money was for Colin. And she gave me an envelope that had so much more money than I had given to that Indian lady. I was learning that I could trust God. I could listen to his voice. I could hear his voice. And if I would be obedient, I could trust him to be faithful. Again, cutting to the chase, we ended up coming to Canada. Pretty scary, actually. We knew God was in England. We weren't sure if God was in Canada. <laughs> but we discovered that he was. And a young lady came to us who was a school teacher, and she said, the Lord's been speaking to me to actually come with you if you'd like me to, to Canada and to teach your boys because we were going to Quebec. And so she joined us. You know what? We arrived in Canada in September 1979. There were five of us. We had five suitcases, all that we owned in the world. And I had $5 in my pocket. We spent 20 years in Canada serving with Youth of the Mission, traveling the world, ministering, bringing our family up, 
And I want to stand to testify to you that there was never a day in those 20 years when we went up without a meal. Never a day that we had a need that God didn't met. Never a bill that we had to pay that he didn't provide in 20 years. I stand up this morning and I testify to the wonderful things God has done in my life and the life of my family. And you might say, I don't have a story like that. It doesn't matter. Every one of us has a unique individual story and we're to share it, not just in our homes, but in our churches. And I want to encourage us as a church and you as people, let's get prepared to share what God is doing in our lives, either through the video or through an interview or just sharing the good things that God is doing in our lives. Lastly, as I finish, the community. The third area is the community. Let's look at the psalmist again. Come and listen, and I will tell you what he did for me. Here's the same thing. It's the psalmist saying, I, if you listen, I want to tell you about what he did for me. How many of us here this morning can think of something that God has done for us? A situation where God came through in a dark situation, a difficult situation. Victories that we found in Jesus that we never expected. Miracles that have happened in our lives. We all have a unique and individual story. And I want to suggest the third area is in the community, whether it's our neighbors, whether it's in the workplace, wherever it might be. There's a storytelling movement called the Moth. Strange name. But it started in Georgia where a group of people gathered in the evenings with their gas lamps uh, in a screened-off area just to tell stories. And the moths would all come attracted to the light. And so this movement was birthed, and it's all over the world now, where people gather together in theaters and community halls, and they buy tickets, and this is what they do. They come into the hall, the theater, and about five or six people are selected to tell a story. That's why everybody's there, so that they can listen to the stories that people tell. And here's the guidelines. No notes. No notes. It has to be genuine story from the heart. There's a time limit. Has to be truthful. There it is again. We, we, do, we have to be authentic to speak truth. And finally, and this is not a Christian organization, by the way, the stories must be transformational transformational. You see, we are living at a time when there are so many fractured and broken stories. We only have to look in Woodstock. And people are looking for stories, transformational stories that can bring hope and healing to their lives. And this organization even suggests, why don't you get your neighbors together and come together for an evening and just share stories together? Well, there's a strategy if we want one. Sharing with our neighbors stories of what God has done 
in our lives. Okay, in conclusion, let's have a look at the IPC mission statement. We exist to introduce people to Jesus, deepen our faith, participate in God's life, transforming story, and serve others at home and around the world. Why do we IPC exist? It's right there in our mission statement, the very first thing, to introduce people to Jesus. And how do we do that? We do that by sharing our stories out of our relationships that people uh, come into our lives that God gives us, sharing our stories, just like the actress's daughter who was moved by the story and she wanted to have her mother read her into the story. Just like King Agrippa, who was moved by Paul's story and declared he was almost, almost gonna become a Christian. When a story moves you, you want to become part of it. You want to participate in it. You and I are part of the most amazing story in the universe. And God has worked in our lives. We have amazing things that we need to share to our friends and to our neighbors. My prayer is that we will see many, many, many people in this next year come to Jesus. They're not going to come through Chris's preaching, great as Chris's preaching is. They're only going to come if you and I will step into the story and start living the story and actually sharing our story, the great things that God has done, how he has transformed our lives. People are going to be moved. They're going to be drawn into that story and then, of course, the larger story of God's redemptive purposes. So I want to challenge us this morning as we go into a new year with a new vision. Will we start a new tradition? Will we be known, IPC, as the church that is a storytelling church, that we are the ones who are telling the stories of what God has done in our lives, in our homes, in our church, in our community? I want to suggest tonight or this morning, I'm ahead of myself, this morning, would you go home today? And even in the few hours we have left of this year, would you just remember some of the stories, some of the things that God has done in your life? Just so you can remind yourself of them because we forget so easily. And maybe some of you here need to write your stories down. I remember when I was struggling about writing a book, one a friend of mine said, Colin, you know, it doesn't matter where the story goes, Write it for your children. And that struck me. Write it for your children. Tell them the legacy, the heritage that has happened in your life so they can be moved and encouraged in theirs. And one of the great places we can do that is in our life groups. In safety with those that we love and do life with. To practice practice sharing our stories so that we might live as people who share what God has done in our lives. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that we are part 
this morning of an amazing story, the story of your love for each one of us. And Father, the reality of living the story is a reality. It's not just something written on a piece of paper or hung up in the church. Father, you have written us into your story. You have written us into your story, and you've invited us to live that story every day of our lives. And Father, I just ask that you will give each one of us remembrance, that we might remember the things that you have done in our lives. And, and Lord, to bring those to mind and to begin to think about how we might begin to share some of those stories. We pray, Lord, for opportunities, sensitivity to your spirit, so that when someone that we meet at work or whatever is going through a hard time or a bereavement or a struggle, we can say to them, you know what? I went through that. And do you mind if I share with you what Jesus did for me? Father, help us to be storytellers, proclaiming your truth in what you have done in our lives. Father, we ask it for your namesake. Amen.